Well, good morning, everyone. You know, it's amazing how weather has an impact on people. And I know that it's raining both on both our campuses right now. What's up, Maple Grove? You're getting the same rain we are. How many of you are woken up this morning by the sound of thunder as it was rolling through? I was reminded as it was raining this morning, a thought from our founding pastor that he used to say quite frequently, and that was that when things happen, it first happens in the natural, then it happens in the supernatural. And so I was like, Lord, let it rain. Let it rain in the natural, but bring it on in the supernatural. Amen? And uh, that's what I always think of when it starts raining, that God's got more for us. And if you're in a dry and a thirsty land, he can rain on our land. Amen? Uh, hey, just in a couple weeks, we're going to have uh, National Day of Prayer, May 5th. And uh, many people in churches around the country are going to be praying for our nation. And there are a, bit, a whole lot of activities that you can be a part of. And we tend to just say, support the kingdom, support what God's doing in many different places. But on that Thursday, there's a, a rally, a prayer rally and worship rally called Unite down at the Mariucci Arena down on the University of Minnesota campus on May the 5th. And Pastor Mark is spearheading a worship uh, set of leaders from around the Twin Cities. And Pastor John Carlos will be a part of it and others from our team. And uh, if you want to go on that night, I encourage you to go. We're going to pray for our city. And I want to believe God for revival in the Twin Cities. Amen. And then I also want to mention one other thing before I dive in. is This past fr Friday night, there was a whole lot of female hormones in the building in Spring Lake Park as we had our women's event. And uh, she is loved, and it was powerful. And how many of you ladies were there? Uh, thank you for coming. It was a fun, I, I jumped in, I peeked in, I looked, I didn't feel like I was wanted. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, it, was a, it was a fun night just to see a lot of smiles, a lot of connection. We want to see women connect in relationships. It was a great event. I especially want to say thank you to all the volunteers that pulled it off. And uh, I know that Jody, my wife, uh, as she worked with a volunteer team. Uh, it was amazing how much work they put into it. And really, something great doesn't just, just happen. It happens because people put their time and effort into it. Would you give it up for all the volunteers? Not only for that, but for other things in our church. I'm going to go right into our series, and uh, I want to say especially to those of you that are in Maple Grove or perhaps you're watching online because you had to stay home because of the weather today, uh, that God is not done with you or me yet. And we're in this series called, So You Believe in Jesus, Now What? And the idea being, uh, you know, there's something beyond just the initial stage of belief, that there's a life that comes behind that, that our story is not done being written, that Jesus still wants to do more. And of course, we looked at how Jesus wants to be a part of our Mondays and th through Saturdays, not just our Sundays, amen, and everything we do. And so we had bracelets. I still wear them. My, my what would Jesus do bracelet. And, and to consider that he wants to be a part of my everyday life and in the story and the journey that, that I'm on. And he also wants me to be free. Everybody said free. And so we looked at how in the story of Israel, who was delivered from slavery in Egypt, and they got out into the desert, but they still needed to get Egypt out of them. And in our story, in our faith journey, perhaps 
You need to get Egypt out of you too. And uh, Jesus' design isn't just for you to be saved, but to be set free. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And uh, we believe that the Spirit of the Lord brings freedom. And, and of course, there's so much in that opportunity as we follow Jesus. Then last week, it was in following the leader. And Jesus was baptized in water. And then he calls all of us to do the same thing and identify it with Jesus and his death and his resurrection. It was powerful to see the, the 64 people be water baptized. And both of our campuses was an amazing story as people chose to go public with their faith. And it was powerful. Today, part four is entitled Communion. And uh, you'll see why here in just a few moments. But I want you to consider that in your journey of development, that Jesus' method for discipleship is always growth through relationships. That in an age where you have access to all kinds of tools, you can click and go online and you can discover the greatest teachers and preachers in the world or the greatest writers. You can, you can get books easily to your Kindle now or your Kindle app or you can, you can have access to all the tools that would be utilized for discipleship, but God will still use people as the main chisel on your life to become more like him. You know, in my life, when I think of, of my journey, Jesus uses people to mold and shape us to look more and more like himself. And as Jesus does that, he's done that in my life. Uh, when I was growing up, I had so many friends and relationships that had fundamental uh, challenging and chisel impact on me. My parents, of course, as they trained me up. And then uh, I, my, my best friend, Mark, who I met in sixth grade middle school band, he played the trombone and I played the alto sax. And uh, we, we started a journey where he was my best friend. And Mark and I were polar opposites in many ways. I was the athlete, he was the singer. And, uh, and yet we were, we were best buds throughout middle school and high school and even to this day. He married my wife's identical twin. So that's, that's staying pretty tight, right? Well, Mark, one day I'll remember in high school, you know, he was the quiet, patient one, a little bit more patient than I am. I'll give you a good example of how he was different than I was. I could eat my food and be done like that. He was never in a hurry to eat. We would go to lunch. He would eat hot lunch. I would bring a sack lunch. I would have my sack lunch eaten before he went through the hot lunch line. And then he would sit down and we would be the last ones in the cafeteria. I'm like, come on, Mark, eat your food, right? He was just opposite of me. And I remember there was one moment that really had a fundamental impact on my life. It was when Mark... One day, I don't know, we were deciding what to do, and, and he says, he says, why do we always have to do what you want to do? Of course, my first thought was, because I'm always right. The second thought, the second thought was, ooh, I think I crossed the line. And it took Mark a long time to, to get to a point. He had a long fuse, if you will. But the fact was, Mark was informing me that somewhere in our journey, I was dominating him. I was hurting him. He didn't get to express himself. And the fact that he had the courage to just say it to me started a change in my life. And I realized I needed to pay attention to the needs of other people around me too. See, friendships and relationships are God's tool, his chisel to shape us to become more like Jesus. And it doesn't always happen through the best of experiences. It actually happens through ordinary, everyday life. 
And as we think about our shaping, the right relationships help us move closer to the design that Jesus intended for our lives, but the wrong friendships can take us on detours that benefit neither us nor our friends. So who should be teaching us how to have success in our relationships? You know, as a pastor, former youth pastor, then I worked in a college and worked with youth development, one of the things I know is that in the age and era of multiple dysfunctions in every direction, that most of us have learned how to be friends or how to build relationships with people other than God. And so we've learned from our family members or we've learned from our friends. And some of the ways that we learned weren't always the best ways. We learned dysfunctional ways of working with and connecting with other people. So if we're really going to learn, we aren't going to learn more just by continuing to listen to our history. Maybe we need to go back to the inventor of relationships because God invented relationships. Can I get an amen? I mean, you go back into Genesis and he creates Adam and he says, it's not good that Adam should be alone. Now, he wasn't just talking about marriage, as it's often quoted in marriages. He was talking about the actual human need for human relationships. You'd think God would say, I'm enough. All you need is me. But God himself said, you need someone else. And he created a woman, a better specimen, some would say. And God creates it. So listen, if we are going to discover how to improve our relationships, if we're going to grow to become more like Jesus, if we're going to uh, become what he wants us to be in, within the context of our relationships, then maybe we should look to him. You know, he's got all kinds of advice all the way through the Old Testament. In fact, if you look at the Ten Commandments, first four are how to relate to God. The next six are how to relate to the people around us. And if you look throughout the entirety of the, the scriptures, you'll discover that there's all kinds of relationship advice. Why? Because God is interested in who we relate to, not just in church, but our everyday life. Things like Ephesians 4.29, don't let anything unwholesome come out of your mouth, but only that which is building up others is useful for others. I'd love to say over time, year after year, that it's always 429. It's always time to build other people up. Amen? Turn to the person next to you and say, what time is it? Answer 429. There you go. <laughs> Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. What about sisters? It, and sisters too. I like that. <laughs> if God knows relationships best, then we have a chance to learn from him. We can shift our perspective and learn Jesus' way. If you're thinking, well, I'm broke, I got dysfunctional training, I have no hope. No, you have hope if you look Jesus' way. Romans 12, 2 says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So if we're going to learn to change, we need to look at the example of Jesus. As we follow him, what was Jesus' lifestyle? You know, he had healthy boundaries. For the most part, he was able to protect the most important relationship, his relationship with the Father. Even though he had crowds around him, he would withdraw to quiet places to spend time with the Lord. But he also had time for relationships with his disciples, and he didn't become this hermit that pulled away from everyone else. 
And he knew when and how to pour into others. Perhaps you're one of those people that you find yourself in a place where you just don't have anything to give to the relationships around you. You're drained. Maybe you need to follow Jesus' example and you need to get alone with the Lord. You need to get alone in prayer and spend time and get your batteries recharged so that you can give again just like Jesus did. And Jesus had this rhythm of relationships that had healthy boundaries so we can learn from him. And he was teaching the 12 that were around him. So I want to I just show you. I brought a, the old school Fridley Assembly God chalkboard to the platform again that I bring once in a while. And I want you to think about Jesus and his relationships. So the main group that he was with were the 12. The 12 disciples. He had gone and he had picked them. And he picked an eclectic group of people. He had a tax collector and he had a revolutionary that hated tax collectors on his team. He had diversity on his team. And, and that 12 he spent time with. He went to dinner with, he hung out with, everywhere he went, they talked. There's a special relationship that he had with them. But within the 12, he also had a group that were the three. And the three were Peter, James, and John. And they're kind of the inner circle group of people. Now, all of us, we've got kind of our group that we hang with. Maybe your family's in that group, and maybe you've got a select group of friends. But then there are a closer group of people that are, you share your secrets with, the people you go to in times of need. And so you have your three. But Jesus wasn't limited to that. He also had relationships with people that were close friends outside the twelve. People like Mary and Martha and Lazarus. You remember, he was so close to Lazarus that when Lazarus died, what does the scripture say? Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, right? Those, those three were not a part of his inner circle here, but they were somewhat connected. Then he had other people that he would spend time with that were sinners. One of Jesus' titles was that he was a friend of sinners. So Jesus would go have dinner with people like Zacchaeus. You remember the old song, Zacchaeus was a wee little, you know that story. Coming to your house today. He went and had dinner with them. Did you know that Jesus felt like it was okay to spend time with people who were outside the church, outside the faith? So he had people like that. But then he also had people that he spent time with that I would just call random groups of people. People like the woman at the well that he ran into uh, and, uh, and he spent time, the Samaritan woman. Or uh, uh, people that just bounced into him in the middle of the night like Nicodemus. People that weren't a part of his circle, but he would give them full attention in his life. This is what I want you to catch today. Jesus had more than one group of friends. He actually had multiple groups and he still stayed balanced with his life. Some people, they got all kinds of friends and they're freaking out because they're trying to keep all the groups uh, together. And then you're like, how do I do it? Jesus knew how to do that. And then some of you are like, I can only handle two friends. And maybe you need to be stretched today and think, well, maybe I can become more like Jesus and I can add to my circle. Maybe I can be connected to more people. Jesus and his friends um, in, in the inner circle, he, he considered them more than just okay, occasional uh, travelers with them. They were actually connected. In fact, in John chapter 15, this is what he said of them. 
He said, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. Here's what I'm saying. Jesus had friendship with more than one group of people. And his way, Jesus' way, leads to relational health that is balanced. Now, at the polar ends of that balance are two things, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer describes it well in his book, Life Together. It says this, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound perils and pitfalls. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. And the one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. So he describes essentially two extremes, two uh, bumpers to the, the bowling lane, if you ever use the bumpers on the bowling lane. On the one extreme, if all of our time is spent with people and we don't withdraw to be alone with the Lord, we're in trouble. We need to have time alone or we don't even know ourselves. There are some people that spend their, all their time with people all the time, all the time, and there's nothing left to give. That's an extreme. We need to be careful. That's what Bonhoeffer would say. But the other extreme is if we're disconnected from the right relationships, we are missing out on the tools God uses to help us grow. So on the other end of the extreme, if we only have a smaller group of friends and we aren't connected to others and we're constantly, constantly withdrawing, we're in trouble. Perhaps we're not able to receive all that God wants to use to, to shape us and mold us. We can settle into a closed circle and we won't allow any new people into our group or fear and anxiety and previous hurt can be used to prevent us from re risking friendship. And yet, Jesus wants us to expand even as he expanded. In the New Testament, get your Bibles out and turn to Acts chapter two. In the New Testament, you will see a picture of a group of people who are attempting to follow Jesus in a relational context. And they were trying to become more and more like Jesus even though everything around them was changing all the time. So on the day of Pentecost, Peter gets up and he preaches and there's thousands of people that come to the faith. But then immediately after that, they had to live a life out that was kind of ordinary, everyday life. And what you'll see is that people were expanding in their relational intelligence. In other words, they changed. Their relational intelligence grew. They learned to be uh, hospitable and new ways to people that weren't like them. New people came into the group that were not perfect and they had to have grace for pe people that didn't have their legs yet. You know what it's like? Some of you, you've been walking with the Lord for many years and you've got long spiritual legs. And so you, as you go through challenges, you kind of know God has been there with you before. Every challenge that you face have grown your spiritual legs. So as you're walking on your journey, your journey becomes knowable. You face a challenge, you know God is going to be with you. But new people that come to faith are freaking out at every turn of, of their story. Things happen to them and they think the sky is falling. Has God forgotten me? Did I do something wrong? 
and you're next to these people who are freaking out and don't have your spiritual legs. You know what you have to do as the New Testament church do? You have to slow down and walk at their pace because they're not grown yet and they need to learn from you. The New Testament church learned to accommodate people that were new in the faith, to let them come in and they had a grace for the people who had not grown their faith legs yet. And at the same time, there were many people who were not perfect and needed to let themselves off the hook and apply the grace to their own life. In Acts chapter two, verse 42, this is what happened. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over, all of, over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This is a powerful picture of a group that was growing in their relational intelligence. They were being made uncomfortable because the numbers were coming in and they had to adapt and change. Okay? And as they met together, they listened to the apostles' teaching. The word of God was important to them. But they were in fellowship with like-minded believers. They were sharing meals and food. And on top of that, they committed to the Lord's Supper, or what we call communion today. And the definition of communion is this, an act or instance of sharing intimate fellowship or rapport. Communion was not about the elements only. It was also about the relationships around the elements. They were sharing their lives with each other and had intimate fellowship or rapport. It wasn't easy, but the evidence that Jesus was with the early church was their community or their communion with each other. So today, I want to submit to you that we need to grow in our relational intelligence. We do. And I'm going to give you five ways that we need to grow in our relational intelligence. Before I do that, I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you need to grow in your relational intelligence, your R.I. <laughs> so the first way that we need to grow is this. Invest in spiritual relationships. Invest in spiritual relationships. Now, I've been around the church for a long time, and I've watched different groups of people. And oftentimes, we get involved in a lot of different things, whether it be softball or hanging out or meals afterwards or just connecting to people through different uh, levels of ministry or whatever. And uh, one of the things I've noticed is we can have friends, but just because we have friends doesn't mean that we're actually spiritual in our friendship. And I'm not also saying that we have to have deep praying tongues together every time we get together either, Okay. But I think that we need to make a baseline. If we're going to have friendships, we need to invest in spiritual relationships. We need to have places in our lives where you can give and receive biblical community. It's not just receiving, it's also giving. Attending church is a starting point. But then there needs to be something beyond that. And prayer is a great basis for you to be connected to other believers. Might not have the time, but you can pray. And you can pray with people at any stage or depth of relationship. 
As a youth pastor back in the day, I remember that we had many campus clubs that were in our local schools, and we still do have those today. And one of the things I discovered is if you do a Bible study, often students from different churches couldn't agree on a certain style to get together. In fact, it's kind of the way it is today. People are meeting in churches all over our city today. Some people like loud, boisterous praise, and some people like it really quiet in church. I think we probably have a little bit of both in our church because we accommodate each other. Put up with the music so I can hear the preaching. Put up with the preaching so I can hear the music. Whatever it may be, right? Well, it's that way in the schools. But the one thing that we discovered where the students could be on common ground was prayer. They could pray together. Of course, see at the poll is one of the greatest days of every year in my mind when students gather together and they pray for their schools together. But they could gather together around prayer. But often, all we can think about is prayer for ourselves. But what about praying for each other? Galatians chapter 6 is a great passage because it says this. Share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Now what he's saying is, is he's challenging the church, the believer, the follower of Christ, the one that wants to become like Jesus. You know what? You need to share each other's burden. Sometimes we go on and approach things where all we do is we want something from other people. I don't like church because nobody likes me. Who are you liking? You know, And asking the question of what we give. Are we sharing other people's burdens? And are we praying? Now I want you to think about all the relationships in your life. And perhaps there's people that all they need, they don't need deep five-hour session of deep spirituality. They just need to know you're praying for them. And you need to know they're praying for you. In fact, I want you to take a moment. Take your cell phones out. Okay? Grab your cell phone. Like, Pastor Nate, you tell us to put these away. What are you doing to us now, right? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a moment, and I want you to ask the Lord, who's one person that you could, you could pray for that's on your mind? Who's that person? That'll pop in your mind, right? Now, what I want you to do is I want you to pray for them, and then I want you to text them right now, I just prayed for you. Ready? One, two, three, go. Just do it right in service. You want to pray. You want to pray for them. And that's all it takes. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't mean, you know, some people get afraid when they come into a church context. If I sign up for life groups, I'm giving my life away. That somehow you're, all they're going to do is they're going to take one night of the week and then they're going to suck up two nights and three nights and four nights. And, and then we don't invest in any spiritual relationships because we're afraid it has to go all the way. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's just staying connected to friends and then praying. And if you gather together with other believers, please just take the time before you're done hanging out, playing softball, doing whatever it is that you're doing, and just pray for each other. That's all it takes to have spiritual friendships. Can I get an amen? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says this, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Church, you can be connected. 
And if you're here today and all you're doing is just hearing the word, there's more to connection spiritually or relationally. Perhaps you can get involved in serving in something. Maybe you want to serve in one of our first impression teams in the parking lot or our doors or our lobbies with coffee or maybe you could help with our kids ministry. And I'm not saying that because you need to get involved because we need you badly. We do need help all the time. But because you need to get into a place where you build friendships and relationships side by side with other people. Maybe you need to sign up and be a life group leader. You can do that in our lobbies. If you want to start a group because you can't find a group, then be, you know, be a group leader. Whatever it is, you might need to do something in order to take a step towards community, not just sitting in church. And I want to tell you something. I've put this in my prayer letter a couple times in the last couple weeks. But I, be, I am praying for our church that God would make of this church a regularly attending and connected church. Statistics say nowadays that the average church attender goes to church once a month. If that's the extent of your spiritual community, it's not enough. You're in trouble. And I'm not talking about church attendance so we can have big crowds. I'm talking about you need to be regularly connected to the rest of the body. You need us. And we need you. We need to grow in our relational intelligence. Secondly, by expand our relational focus beyond our current stage. We need to expand. We need to go beyond. What do you mean? If all the people you talk to are at the same part of the spiritual journey as you are, something's missing. You need to stretch the people and chase people or a few steps ahead of you. As Paul told Timothy, hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me. A pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. We need to chase mentors, people that are further down the road than us so that we can grow in it. The greatest people that have shaped me in my journey are further along. They're more mature than me. And I chase relationship. I chase that so that it would become a part of my life. But just as important is that we need to reach out to the people who are a few steps behind us to be a friend to those who are distant from God, to be a genuine friend. I want you to think about something. Grab my chalk again. There's a, there's a concept out there that's called the Engel scale, okay? And the angle scale is just a way of identifying where people are in their journey of faith, okay? If this is ground zero right here, and this is the point of salvation, okay? This is the moment that people give their life to Jesus. There's likely to be further steps in their journey where they learn to get rid of habits that are life-controlling, cutting those things that easily entangle us, as Hebrews says, and they grow in their faith journey. But just as likely, there were stages before people came to Christ. And if this were a place where somebody's so far away from God, they don't even believe there's a God, they're angry, whatever, and this is the point of salvation, it's likely that the people that are coming to faith have different stages in their journey. There might be people in your life that are away from God, and they're very curious, and you don't know it. Okay, And so you need to consider, I need to be open to having friendship with people knowing God's already put some of those people in my life that I need to consider. Even though they're not my deep, true, spiritual mentors, maybe I need to be a mentor to them. And then you can take them through the various seasons and stages of your li their life. And there are times when... God brings people into our life as mentors that are only there for a season, and that's okay. 
But it's also true that we need to be ready for others for certain parts of the season. Often, our eyes are not open to that because all we're thinking of is ourselves. Perhaps we need to expand our relational intelligence and expand our view beyond our current stage. Think about all the current relationships that you have in your life. Perhaps God is waiting for you to expand your view of what's possible for the people in your life. Do you and your friends need to stretch? Do you and your friends need to change? Are there any friends you may need to drop because you're not helping them and they're not helping you? I like to always say that friends are like elevators. They can take you up, they can take you down. Maybe you need to address those issues. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, the next best thing to being wise oneself is to live in a circle of those who are. Maybe you don't feel wise, but maybe you need to be around people who are wise. Third thing that we need to grow in our relationships is we need to intentionally invest into the relationships the Lord has already put into your life. Who are the people and how can you intentionally invest in them? Move beyond the polite intention of we need to get together to actually putting it on a calendar. Now this is, comes into that life following Jesus, life territory of having balance. We can't get together with everyone all the time. And so we are gonna have to say no, but instead of saying let's get together, you can say, I'm sorry, I'm not able to. I'm not lying to them, but maybe say, maybe some other point, or maybe I can connect you with somebody I think that would really help you. Or you could say, Let's get together for lunch today. Or let's get together in two weeks. And then you begin to move intentionally forward in that way. Let me give you a challenge or a goal. For the next month, have a meal with a person, a meal a week with a person who's away from God. Why not make it intentional? That could be going to lunch with somebody you work with. That could be uh, the next door neighbor. Hey, come over for a cookout. It's getting a little warmer in Minnesota when it's not raining. But also have a meal a week with a friend in faith because meals have a way of providing something else to talk about. How's your sandwich? It's good. <laughs> you know, you can, you, meals is just a place to have relationship in, okay? Fourth, we need to grow in our relational intelligence by seeking to be a friend. To be a friend. Turn to the person next to you and say, be a friend. See, many people want to have friends, but... Uh, it really begins with a willingness to be a friend. Sometimes, I, I hear it all the time. Pastor Nate, I just don't have any friends. I wish somebody would be my friend. And I want to say to them, if they can't handle it, you need to learn to be a friend. Be a friend first, and then you'll find friends, right? And sometimes that means forgiving people, and other times it means saying the truth because you care about your friends. Proverbs 17, 9 says, Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. A single rebuke does more for a person of understanding than a hundred lashes on the back of a fool. Today, we need to choose to be the kind of friend that we want others to be to us. Don't wait for friends. Be a friend. And fifth, practice communion with Jesus and his body as you journey. You see, the definition of communion, again, was an act or instance of sharing intimate fellowship or rapport. What we need to do is simply say, I choose to not go it alone. I will not go alone. 
I'm going with you, Jesus. I'm also going to embrace the people that you bring into my life as a part of my discipleship journey. What if we opened our eyes and realized that that boss that's bugging us is really Jesus' tool to change us? What if we started recognizing that the people that are in our circumference, Jesus could use to make us to look more like him? They're the chisels on our life. And the cool thing is, when we choose to say to Jesus, I'm inviting you to be on my journey, he promises to show up. Matthew chapter 18 says this, I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. It's cool because it only takes one or two. It doesn't take a sanctuary full of people. It just takes one or two friends. Little message, a little text. Hey, I need prayer. I'm praying for you. Around here, we have a value that I will continue to champion at Emmanuel. And it's called Redwood Faith. The Redwood Forest out in California are these massive trees, 50, 100 feet tall and taller. They're big and they're wide. And they've been there for hundreds of years, though there are massive storms that come off the West Coast, off the Pacific Ocean and slam through. These trees are huge. And what may surprise you is that they've stood the test of time, not because they have deep roots. In fact, their roots only go eight to 10 feet deep for trees that size. But the way that they stay together is that the root system is interconnected. That's how they've stayed together. Here in our faith, in our journey, I want to challenge you, church, to consider that your roots be interconnected with other believers. It is absolutely essential for you to be connected one to another. It's God's plan of how we stay together and how we stay on the journey of following Jesus and what he's calling us to do. So today, we're going to conclude our service with communion. And as we go through communion on both of our campuses, I'd like to ask you to hand out the elements now, those that are serving. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, you've trusted him as your Lord and your Savior, you're invited to participate with us today. You don't have to be a member of this church. You don't have to be a perfect person. Of course, Scripture says examine yourself as you receive. But Go ahead and take the elements in your hand. We'll receive them together here in just a few moments. But one of the things that I want you to consider that as we look at communion, Jesus chose to have communion done in a very specific context. He did not do one-on-one communion with each of his disciples. You know what he did? He brought them all together and they had communion together. And as they had communion together, it's an amazing story, but Jesus looked around them and he saw each of them as interconnected. I, if, if you were using the metaphor I used this morning, each of them were, were intended to have redwood faith. The root system should be interconnected to one another. And as they gathered together, Jesus said with the bread, he said, this is my body. In fact, he was essentially saying, my body is more than just my physical body. After he left, the body was known as the body of Christ. People were connected. And there are going to be times in the journey where the body is broken. And Jesus says that my body is broken for you. His physical body was meant to see our broken bodies put back together again. Our relationships reconnected. 
in the long journey, coming to church, attending a service, and having theater Christianity, where all we do is listen and observe, is not enough. What Jesus would say is, y'all need each other. You need to be connected one to another, because you're gonna have some times that are tough. You're gonna have some times that are high, but somebody next to you might need you, and sometimes that are low, and you need to be lifted up. And the only way for that to happen is to live in a state of connectedness. My desire is that as a church, we do just that, that no one would be alone, unnoticed, unwanted, but that we would be connected one to another. Body of Christ broken for you. The cup was the blood of Jesus. It represented his blood poured out or spilled out for you. And the blood of Jesus conquers everything that could ever be created. Every demon from hell, anything that you've got as a tormented memory, you find wholeness in the blood of Jesus Christ. And you find that wholeness not just alone, but in connection to your sisters and brothers. I'm telling you, communion was meant to be something not just with Jesus, but also with each other. And Jesus is with us. We're two or three are gathered together. He's in the middle of it. On both of our campuses today, we're still distributing some of the communion. But I'd like to ask you to stand with me, please. I've never been accused of doing the same thing every time. I like to change things up a bit. But today, I want to do something that's a bit different, maybe a challenge for some. But I want you to consider receiving communion today in the way that Jesus did it with his disciples. And what he did is they were around a table, but they were looking at each other. You look at the Last Supper painting, that's not how it was. They weren't all on one side so that they could get painted. <laughs> it wasn't a portrait. They were actually looking at each other. They were connected to one another. And uh, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to huddle up as we receive today. I want you to find one or two or maybe three people and just turn, face each other. Maybe you want to slip out into the aisle. But I want you to just pull people. If you see somebody by themselves, just go ahead and pull them in. And here's, here's what I want you to consider before we receive together. I want you to repeat something after me as we talk to Jesus. I want you to repeat this. Say, thank you, Jesus. We're in this together. And then I want you to look around at all your huddle mates, the people in the huddle with you, and say, we're in this together. We're in it together, all right? And Pastor Nathan in Maple Grove, you can take it from here. We're going to receive together in Spring Lake Park. You guys, we're in it with you. Even though we're distant, this is one congregation and we love you. We'll hand it to you now. Now I want you to take the bread in your hands and consider that it represents the body. It represents relationships. It represents people. Not just the broken body of Jesus, but the resurrected body of Jesus put back together again. And recognize that in the circle you have people that aren't like you and some people that are like you but you need each other and together today he will provide wholeness there's healing in this room healing for broken bodies broken relationships we can see wholeness today let us eat thank you Jesus and then taking the cup he looked at his disciples and he said this is my blood poured out for you, spilled out for you. In other words, his life can be our life. Let us drink together.
do this before we move on. We're going to sing in just a moment. Somebody can put the cups down in your group, but stay in your circle if you would for a moment. And this is what I'd like you to do. Just put your hands on the shoulders of the people that you're around. Huddle it up. And let's just declare Jesus to be with us today. Lord, I thank you today that you are not distant, but that you are with us. And I thank you, Father, that you sent your one and only Son to the earth, to die on a cross, to be raised from the dead, to bring life, not only for one moment, for a lifetime. That your life is our life. Your hope is our hope. Your blood sets the vilest of sinners free. No demon from hell can stop the blood of Jesus Christ. The hope that you're building in our lives. Oh God, as we're connected, no storm of life can blow us down because we are connected, firmly rooted in the power of God. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are alive right now. That all things that are needed are in this room. Everything that we would ever need. You are the sufficient one, able to do any and everything. So we call upon you. We praise you. We know that you are the one true God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah.